Well, I warned you last week, this week we're going to talk about greed, so if you're here, it's your own fault. But we are going to talk about it. But we're going to talk about how do we break the grip of greed in our lives. And I think it's an appropriate topic because I think we live in the greediest generation in the history of mankind. I just believe that's kind of where we are, especially as a country. So let me just give you, let me give you a definition for greed. It's this. It's a relentless desire for more. No matter what you have, it's not enough. In fact, one time Rockefeller was asked, how much does a person need to be happy, to be content, to be satisfied? And his answer was, a little bit more than he has, okay? It's just, I can't quite get there. Now, if, if that's not a good enough definition, I came up with one. I call this my Dr. Seuss definition. It's when the desire to acquire goes haywire, okay? That would be, that would be my, it's when the desire to acquire goes haywire. And I don't know if that's Dr. Seuss or Reverend Jesse Jackson, but somebody, somebody would say something like that, right? And it's interesting uh, when you think about it, greed is it's always craving, always wanting, always wishing for more, always striving for more. And, 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 and greed is really a very, very intriguing sin because it's something that we can easily spot in someone else's life. Like, ooh, they are greedy, right? But rarely can we see it in our own life. And what's odd is that this used to be considered a vice. It used to be considered a sin. It was listed among the seven deadly sins. Now in the culture we live in, it's almost viewed as a, as a virtue. It's kind of where you want people to be. We accept it in our lives. We tolerate it in our lives. Uh, it's almost a respectable sin. We don't even think that much about greed anymore. But this weekend, I want us to see, see what God has to say about it. Because we know what the world says about it. The world says get all you can, can all you get. You know, hoard, keep, amass, accumulate, enjoy. You only go around once in life. You got to grab for all the gusto you can, right? But what does God have to say about it? And it probably doesn't surprise you, there's a lot of examples of greed in the Bible. You go all the way back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he created animals, and he created fish, and he created chickens and mosquitoes. I mean, he created everything, right? And then he created Adam and Eve. He created Adam, and from Adam he created Eve. And then he placed them in the beautiful Garden of Eden. And God says, I have created it for you. It is all here for your enjoyment. Have at it. Except, if you could just avoid one tree. There's one little tree in the middle of the garden. You can have everything else if you will just stay away from that tree. But what happened? Satan showed up in the form of a serpent, convinced Eve that she was missing out on something. There was more, but she's got to pursue it. And she took of the fruit. It was the fall of mankind. But when you think about it, it really goes back to greed. You go a few chapters in the book of Genesis and you discover that it was greed that caused Jacob to betray his brother, brother Esau so that he could get his father's birthright, his father's blessing. You get to the New Testament and you discover it was greed that caused the money changers to put up shop, set up shop in the temple. And Jesus got so angry, although he did not sin. See, we talked about that last week. Greed, one of my favorite little stories in the Bible, it cost the rich young ruler his eternity in heaven. He lost it because of greed. Greed, when you think about it, caused Judas to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which was the price of a bull or a slave that had been gored. That's what he sold Jesus out for, greed. Every one of those individuals was in the grip of greed. Couldn't escape it. Couldn't get away from it. So how do we expect for that to happen in our lives? How do we release the grip of greed so that we can move it out of the vault of our life and call it what it is, sin. Now, I'm just going to give you the answer because I know some of you like to leave early. So let me go ahead and give you the answer, and you'll have it. The, the answer is generosity. The Bible says the only way that you can break the grip of greed in your life is becoming a person of generosity. I mean, think about it. It's the antithesis of greed. Generosity, you think of generosity, you think of giving and sharing. But when you think of, when you think of greed, you think of selfishness. 
Generosity, you think open-handed. Greed, you think tight-fisted. You know, greed is kind of keeping a mental list of projects and people that you can help, that you're in a position to help. But greed is keeping a list of all the things that you want. I mean, you just have to have. And that's why a spirit of generosity is the only thing that I'm aware of that will break the grip that greed has on our lives. Now, this week I want you to see an example of generosity and greed. It all is contained in one story. I think it's one of our favorite stories. Uh, if you grew up in Sunday school, it's, it's the widow's offering. You remember the story of the widow's offering? Now, I grew up during the King James Day, and it was called the widow's might. But uh, some of you are new at church, and you would just think that's about a woman and her bug, a little bug or something. So we're not going to do that. We're going to go with the widow's offering. It's in Mark chapter 12. If you have your Bible, turn there. And uh, I'm just going to read a few verses, then we'll, then we'll unpack it. Mark chapter 12, if you don't have your Bible, we'll put it up on the screen, beginning in verse 41. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Verse 43, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, the poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all that she had to live on. But I want you to notice something, even as we get into this story. Notice that Jesus refers to this woman as the poor widow. And it's interesting, Mark wrote this gospel. When Mark wrote this, he used the word poor. Uh, it, was a, it was a word that was used in the first century as a reference to the working poor. This was a person who just kind of lived day to day. We may even say in our society, she lived hand to mouth. She got up, she hoped to get enough to eat that day. When I was in the Central African Republic, after being there, it's the poorest country on the earth, $20 was a household income per month. And I realized every day, 99% of their energy is, am I going to get one meal today? Just one meal today. Am I going to be able to put together enough for one meal today? And it was kind of that existence for this woman. In fact, this Greek word, poor, means extreme poverty. It means destitute. So I want you to understand this woman that we're looking at, this widow, she, she was miserably poor. And maybe it's just because of where I am today. We've just grown ridiculously as a church, even over the last few months. I wonder how many times this woman, maybe because of her poverty, maybe because of her status in life, I wonder how she just kind of stayed under the radar, and I wonder how many times she showed up at church and nobody ever saw her. Nobody even noticed her. She just kind of quietly showed up and she left and nobody, nobody seemed to care. And I say that because I'm realizing more and more that that's how many of you feel when you show up on the weekend. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think one of the problems is our phones. You, you better be glad I'm not the president because, see, I would ban phones. Everybody would have to leave their phone in their car because this is what happens. We come into this place and instead of talking and getting or meeting someone, this is what we do. And it's so funny. In fact, I'll, on Saturday night sometimes, I'll just go around and start grabbing people's phones, just taking them. Like, I'll give them back to you after service. I got all these phones I'm carrying around. Then, then I don't know who they belong to. It's kind of weird, actually. But anyway, because we're so consumed with our phones, we can't even look beside us and acknowledge someone. And maybe you feel like, man, I just, in fact, you know, a few weeks ago, I was, I was, it was a Saturday night. It was before the 6 o'clock service. I was hanging around the soundboard. And I was just looking at the people who were coming in. And there's one lady, she sits third row back, NC every Saturday night. I know her story because I remember the day she came to my office and said, I discovered my husband's having an affair and now he wants a divorce and now she's a single mom. And she comes every week and she sits on that end seat and every week I make sure I go over and give her a hug. And she told me last night after the message, she says, Mike, you have no idea how much that means to me because I'm one of those individuals. I feel like I walk in here every week 
I sit down, I get up, I leave, nobody knows, nobody cares. I looked over and I saw a father sitting right over here with his family and his, his shoulders were slumped and his head was down and I don't know what was going on, I don't know what was going on, but you just sensed he was carrying the weight of the world and he was all alone carrying it. I saw a college young man, I think he was college, he looked that age and just something on his face said he was carrying some kind of burden, maybe even some kind of guilt. And my feeling is they walk in like that and they sometimes walk out like that and they think, man, nobody even sees me. Nobody even knows. Nobody even cares. Now, this woman in our story, she's destitute. She's the poorest of the poor. But it's interesting. Jesus picks her out, and Jesus, Jesus watches her. Now, this has nothing to do with my message on grief. But let me show you some verses how God feels about people we tend not to see in our culture. Psalm 68, verse 5. I love this. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. That's our God. How about Exodus 22, verse 22? Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do, this is God speaking, if you do and they cry out to me, in other words, they tell on you, I will certainly hear their cry. Notice what he says, my anger will be aroused. In other words, God doesn't just ignore it. He doesn't, he doesn't just overlook it. When we mistreat those in our culture, in our world, who are the most vulnerable? Let me give you another one, James chapter 1, verse 27, religion. And it's interesting, we say that word a lot, but in the Greek, the word just means service to God. So religion, or service to God, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Now, I'm just going to say something because there's a lot going on. This is not a political statement. Please don't email me. I'm not even going to respond to it. I'm just, delete, delete, email Jesus. One of the most frustrating things about being a pastor in these days is having to walk like through a minefield, making sure you don't offend anybody. So this is not a political statement, so please don't email me. I want to tell you something. God has always been for the underdogs. Let me just read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the accounts of the life of Jesus. You will see in Jesus' life, Jesus noticed people, that no one else noticed. He cared for people that no one else cared for. And he had time for individuals that nobody else had time for. And I know that we live in a day of national security and all those things. And I don't know what the answer is. I don't know. When I say that, I don't know what the answer is. But I know God cared for the underdog. And Jesus lived it out. In fact, my favorite scenes in the New Testament is when Jesus would move in close to a solitary human being. And he would love them with a supernatural love. Or he would grace them with some kind of unexpected gift. Maybe, maybe he gave them the gift of forgiveness. Or maybe he, gave them, maybe he gave them a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth chance at life. Or maybe it was the day that Jesus would just move into someone's loneliness. And he would put purpose in their step. And before they finished that encounter with Jesus, they had a reason to live. It, it was those stories that began with an unsuspecting man, an unsuspecting woman going about their everyday life. And then they would empower, they would encounter the power of God through Jesus Christ. And their lives would be changed forever. And it's because Jesus saw people no one saw. He cared for people nobody else cared about in society. He had time for people that nobody else had time for. Now, here's the kicker. Now, we, the body of Christ, the family of God, see, Christians, we represent Jesus on this earth. And that means that if there's anybody that should have time for people that others don't have time for, if there's anybody that should see people in our world that no one else sees, it ought to be the church. 
You see, God gave us the responsibility of taking care of the destitute, the poor, the widows, the single moms. He says, it's your job, Christians, to take care of the orphans and the elderly. And I'm going to tell you something. That's not government's responsibility. But see, government had to stop in because the church stopped doing its job. And if we didn't, if we did our job, we would need government to pave roads, build bridges, and protect us. Other than that, they could stay out of our business. You know what I'm saying? How many would be excited about that, right? But it's because we created the vacuum because as Christians, we stopped doing what God called us to do. But I'm telling you, we should be the ones that are pulling and fighting for the underdog because God is for the underdog. God is all about seeing and caring and having time for people that no one else sees, cares, or has time for. So let me just say this. If you're here this weekend and you don't feel like anybody sees you, first of all, I want to apologize as the pastor of this church because it should not be that way. It should not be that way. No one should ever come and leave this place without experience the touch of another individual, the kind word of another individual. So I want to apologize, but you know what? I got a couple of emails after last night's service, and it makes me think that we're, we're trying, we're moving in the right direction. One lady wrote me and said, what you said about people blended in, people who wonder if anyone sees them, that was me. I'm the widow who was new here and felt unseen, but I am in such a position to pass on love and hope, and that is why I want to be involved at Hope. That is why I want to help lead a small group and give extra special attention to the people that God brings to my table in that time every week. I can't wait. Thank you for the opportunity. So there's someone who saw the need and thought, I'll be a part of the solution. And then I just thought I would share this. I got this last night from one of the ladies on our staff. Hey, Mike, you mentioned a single mom in the service this evening who sits alone. We have a single mom small group that meets in the fireside room every Saturday during the 6 o'clock service. So they come at 4.15, they go to church, and then they have their own small group upstairs while they still have daycare here at the church. And maybe you're a single mom, and maybe that's something you should think about on Saturday nights. In fact, I think we still give all of our, our most single moms and their kids free dinner on Saturday night. So that may just be something that you want to take, that you want to take advantage of, and you should. But if, if we're not doing our job impacting your lives and making you feel like somebody cares, I want to apologize, but I do want you to know this too. God sees you and cares about you. And he has time for you. See, that's this woman here. Nobody else cared about this woman. She was so poor, right? <laughs> Let's look at what it says. It says in Mark chapter 12, verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. By the way, the offering boxes, they were in the outer court, or we would call it the atrium of the temple. And as people would leave after the time of worship, they would have a chance to give their offering. It's, it's very similar to hope. You've noticed if you've been here now, we don't take offerings. We don't pass offering plates. By the way, no one's ever sent me an email upset about that one, right? We, nobody cares. They love that, right? Because we don't want you to feel obligated to give like you have to give because here it comes. What are we going to do? You know? Plus, we're afraid some of you might take some out so that we don't even do it that way. <laughs> so to solve both issues, we have offering boxes. Or, or you can go online or get, well, it doesn't matter. But you can, it's between you and God. And so uh, that's what's going on here. But this week particularly, this time Jesus decides to pull up a chair and just sit and watch the people as they give their money. Now, let me ask you a question. If you left today and somebody's sitting by the offering box, Jesus, <laughs> would that make you uncomfortable? Would it? Would you make eye contact with him? And I say that because when, I can speak on a lot of things and people love me, man. 
But let me speak on generosity. People will not make eye contact with me. So I'm thinking you wouldn't make eye contact with Jesus, right? So this is what's going on in this scene. He's sitting down by the offering box, and, and he sees the action of this widow. She doesn't have a lot, but in perspective, she gives a lot. And then he sees the action of these people who have a lot, but then they don't, they don't give a lot. They give very, very little. In fact, let me explain to you how little these rich people gave. Verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. And again, the New Testament was written in Greek. And the Greek word translated here, money, was chalkos, C-H-L-K-O-S. That's how you spell it in English if you break it down that way. It literally meant brass pennies. They were giving money. They were giving brass pennies. That's the Greek word. So keep that in mind. Verse 41, many rich people threw in large amounts. And on the surface, that sounds great. But it's interesting, in the Greek, the word many and the word large, if you looked at the Greek New Testament, they're the exact same word. Exact. And so literally this could read, many people put in many. Many people put in many. What were they putting in many of? They were putting in many brass pennies. And it probably sounded good. Probably sounded like a slot machine, right? It sounded good. It looked like they were being generous. But Jesus thought, oh, you're not being generous. I see what's going on. You are being greedy. Now let me just say something. That should not surprise us. And I say that because a lot of people think, man, if I tell you what, if I was one of those rich people, if I had it, I'd give it. I'd be generous. I tell you, if my ship comes in, if I ever win the lottery, whoo, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. Statistics, statistics say that's not the case. Statistics say if, you don't have a, if, you don't, if you're not generous when you have a little, you certainly will not be generous when you have a lot. In fact, uh, my team put some statistics together about the triangle area. And the average household in the triangle that makes 30000 a year, that is so far below the poverty level, it's ridiculous. They give 7% in charitable contributions. Once it gets to 50000 per household income, it drops to 5%. Once it gets to 100000 it drops to 3% in charitable contributions. And once it gets to 200000 it drops to about 2% in charitable contributions. You know why? See, let me tell you how I grew up. When I was six, I got my first box of offering envelopes. Any of you guys grew up where you got a box of offering envelopes and it had a number on it, and so you, you had a record. I had a giving record as a six-year-old. We had, I had two, a brother and two siblings. My dad gave us a box of envelopes when we turned six. And if we made money, if we had a dollar, whatever it was, we better tithe. We had to put 10%. And my dad got the record at the end of the year. And if it said that you missed July 10th because your birthday was on July 9th and you went out partying with that dime... There was going to be a day of reckoning. My dad was no near as gracious as God. But we learned. So as we grew up, you made 20000 It wasn't a big deal to give 2000 When you got to be 50000 it wasn't a big deal to give 5000 I mean, God saved your life through Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you want to be a part of reaching the world so they can experience? It just made sense to me. Here's the problem. One day you find out you make 500000 You think, $50,000? That's stupid. That's just irresponsible. Nobody gives that kind of money away, right? And greed sets in. I want you to know something. The people that make this place run, they're not the big shots. It's not people living the dream. We don't have any sugar daddies. This place runs because of average people who take a percentage of their income and they give it back because they care about the poor, they care about the needy, they care about widows, they care about single moms, they care about those who are destitute, they care about orphans, they care about people who've never heard the gospel, the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. That's what they care about. And I'll just tell you this, if you're not generous when you have a little, I promise you this, you will not be generous 
when you have a lot. So Jesus is watching and he notices that these people who had a lot, they gave very, very little. But verse 42, a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. The word for copper coin here, the Greek word is lepta, it means light. It was an eighth of a brass penny. An eighth of a brass penny. She put in two, so if you know your fractions, she put in a quarter of a brass penny. Now remember, this time in history, these Jews, they lived under Roman rule. There was extreme poverty. And this lepta that she gave, it was so small that the Roman government did not even recognize it as currency. It's like, it, it, you know, it's just next to nothing. But that's what she gave. She gave a quarter of a brass penny. Now Jesus is watching this scene go down. And he is like, I am so ticked off. I mean, he is so upset. What's he so upset about? He's upset because according to the story, these wealthy people, and of course Jesus knew what they had, he's Jesus, they gave of their wealth, they gave of their abundance, brass pennies. I mean, Jesus knew what they had. He knew their portfolio. They had gold, they had silver, they had stocks, bonds, they owned real estate. They were basically tipping God. Looked good because they were putting in a lot, but they were just tipping God, just some brass pennies. But this woman gave everything she had to live on. Remember what I said earlier? Destitute, lived day-to-day -day existence. That, mean, that means she would not even eat that day if someone didn't reach out to her. I mean, according to verse 45, Jesus said she gave it all. Now, Jesus observes this whole scene. He sees their actions, and he's upset. By the way, you know what that tells me? It tells me that Jesus really isn't all that interested in how much we give. What he, what he is interested in is how much potential we have to give. He's interested in how much potential we have to be generous. By the way, I think this is why the Bible talks about percentage giving. It kind of makes it a level playing field. Everybody can, can give. So Jesus, who God measures what you give based on how much you have to give. And I, I don't know if that's good or bad for you. Might be good, might be bad. But he sees. He sees. He sees into your vault of your life. He either sees generosity or see he sees greed. But he sees. He sees our actions. But not only does he see our actions, not only does he see what we do, he sees why we do what we do. Verse 41. And I'm sorry, there's a bunch of little nuances here because we just read these stories and they don't make any sense. So today I just wanted to show you a few things. Verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd put their money into the temple treasury. But again, like in any language, sometimes things just lose their meaning a little bit. And this is what the verse literally says in the Greek. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched why. He watched why the crowd put their money into the temple treasury. In other words, what's the motive? He sees attitude. Literally, he sees their heart. Now, let me show you what happened right before the story because it gives us some context. But you probably wouldn't put it together usually. But if you go back up to verse 38, it says, As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. Now, these are the religious leaders in Jesus' day. Watch out for the teachers of the law. And Jesus describes how these guys love to draw attention to themselves. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. But notice this next part. You've probably read it and never really thought about it, and you just kept running going, but you didn't know what it meant. They devour widows' houses. What does that mean? They devour widows' houses. And then he continues, and for a show, make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Now, it's interesting. Everything Jesus has to say about these religious leaders had to do with them drawing attention to themselves. They, flow, they like the flowing robes, be greeted with respect, like the most important seats in the synagogue. They lengthy prayers to impress people. But then he throws in this little phrase, they devour the widows' houses. What does that mean? 
Well, let me just say this. If you read the gospel, you discover there were two things that really, really made Jesus' blood boil. See, we all have our pet sins, right? We know which one. Oh, don't you dare do that because that will really make me mad. I'll know, you know. Two that Jesus just made his blood boil. You know what they were? Pride, which we'll talk about in a few weeks, and greed. Pride and greed, which tells me this. If you want to be on God's good side, I would say deal with your pride and your greed, right? But Jesus just continually kept seeing these two traits over and over again in the religious leaders of his day. He's like, there was pride. They wanted to be noticed. Everything was about them. Everything was a show. But second, he says, man, they're greedy. Let me tell you how greedy they were. These religious leaders, let's go back to that phrase, they devour widows' houses. These religious leaders, they would go to the homes of these widows who were very, very poor, and they would convince them to sign over their houses to the temple. And then on top of that, they would convince these widows to work in the temple for a quarter of a penny a day. How much did she give? She gave a quarter of a penny. That was wages for the day. And they would convince them that this was how they could show their service and commitment and their devotion to God. In other words, they are stealing from the very people that they're supposed to be helping. And Jesus is just ticked off. Do you know why? Because he sees attitude. He sees motive as well as actions. He sees your heart. Let me share one more thing about this story that maybe you didn't know. This story took place the last week of Jesus' life. He's going to go to the cross on Friday. This took place on Tuesday, and we know it took place on Tuesday because if you read the context, we see how many days after the Sabbath it took place. Trust me, it took place on Tuesday. You can read Mark 11 and 12 on your own and figure that out. This took place on Tuesday. By Friday at 9 o'clock in the morning, he's going to be nailed to a cross. He's just a few hours away. Now, why was he nailed to a cross? One reason, to redeem people's hearts. Do you know why I think he was so upset on Tuesday? For three years he had been teaching. For three years he had been walking among these people. And he's looking at them and he's thinking their hearts, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. They were still greedy. They were still full of pride. And it bothered him. Because see, Jesus knows the same thing we know. He knows that our hearts control our attitudes and our attitudes control our actions. And Jesus knew there's only one way to get someone's attitude to change their actions. And that's by addressing the issue of the heart. And that's why within about 48 to 60 hours, Jesus was going to be on the cross. At the end of the day, he needs our hearts. He wants to redeem our hearts. So having said that, let me just ask you a question. What's in your heart? I mean, what's locked up in the vault of your life? Is it, is it generosity or is it greed? Now, let me just tell you something. Until your heart changes, that will never change. I've said for years, generosity, greed, not money issue. It's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. You either have a heart like the widow who was generous, or you have a heart like the religious leaders who were greedy. I like what Abraham Lincoln said. He says, when the heart is right, the feet are swift. When the heart is right, you do what you need to do. When the heart is right, you do the right thing. Now, this is all great in theory, but how do we actually break the grip of greed in our life? I want to give you, I want to give you a, a few practical uh, tips that can help you do that so that we can have a heart of generosity 
I'm, you know, I love to read the Bible, but if I don't have something practical that I can walk out with, so I want to give you something you can walk out with. Here's the first one. Discover the joy of giving stuff away. Just discover the joy of giving stuff away. I had dinner with a, with a brand new friend that I believe God brought to the triangle to bring pastors together to bring healing among our churches so that we can begin to partner with other churches. And, and I had dinner. He put together a dinner Friday night and it was several pastors that typically I would have never been at the table with, but now we're communicating and we're talking about how do we partner together. But it's because of him. And I love this guy. He's from New York, you know, and he had the coolest jacket on, right? I'm like, man, I love that jacket, right? I, I said, next time I'm in New York, you're going to tell me where you got that jacket. Well, he's here today, and guess what he brought me in a suit? case you know a suit bag that jacket you know why there's something about giving something away last weekend remember we said we're gonna have our clothing boutique I just want you guys to know how you responded you brought into into Hope Community Church over 15 tons of clothes and shoes and children's books and yesterday we opened up the doors to the community and they came in and everyone they came in we met them we loved on them. We asked them what we could do for them. We helped them shop. The children had books that they were being, they could read books. They could take books. I saw Dr. Seuss's Cat in the Hat. Almost stole that thing. That's a good book. That's some good reading right there, right? We prayed with them. We gave them information. We had all kinds of people, all kinds of colors, all kinds of faith in our doors yesterday. But this is what I noticed this week is people were bringing things in. When I say 15 tons, you had till Wednesday. Remember? I told you on Sunday, you had till Wednesday. Every person I noticed smiling from ear to ear when they brought in this. Because there's something in the brain, we know we're doing the right thing when we give stuff away. You, we, you'll never see a grumpy, generous person. You just won't. You can't find one. You can't find one. But you know what you'll find? You'll find a grumpy, greedy person. A tightwad. You've been around. I mean, they're so tight, they open a wallet, it goes, you know, like, don't open me, don't open me, right? I saw this last week. I saw an example of this last week. And uh, it was, I'm confident. I grew up Baptist. I've been around Baptist a whole life. My parents are still Baptist. I guess I'm still a Baptist. I don't know you ever get out of your system. But anyway, I saw them. They were Baptists. So they, what happened was we went to a restaurant Sunday after church, and Laura's family, she invited some of her family. So there's too many of us. There's eight of us, and there's only one table we can sit at. Well, there's a family there. It's like grandma and grandpa and their kids and then their grandkids, and they're all there. And we're waiting for them to get up, and they wouldn't get up. So he said, so would you guys sit over here in these two little booths? So we're crowded in there, and it's uncomfortable, and we order, and, you know, and I'm giving them the stank eye, you know, like, like you know, how long are you guys going to eat? But I, I watched them. They were the unhappiest people I've ever seen in my life. I'm telling you, they were Baptists. There's, there's some signs. There's some signs. Like Grandpa's suit pants. He had a white short sleeve shirt on, red tie. That's the sign. But his suit pants only went down here, and his black socks only came up here. So you got about that much of, of skin. That's, that's, a, that's a Baptist thing, just so you know. I'm telling you, I, I know these things. And uh, by the way, my favorite Baptist jokes. Why don't Baptists believe in premarital sex? It might lead to dancing. See, that's a good that's, that's a good. That's a good joke. That's a good joke. See, the Baptists aren't laughing. The Catholics are, whoa! That's awesome. How can you tell a Methodist from a Baptist at the liquor store? See, the Methodists will say hi to you. The Baptist's like, you never saw me here. Uh-uh. No way. 
You know why you take two Baptist fishing and not just one? If you take only one, he'll drink all your beer. But the other one, see, he'll keep him in line. So he won't do it with the other Baptist sitting there. So you just, these are things you need to know about Baptists. But anyway, and I say, I can do that because I grew up one. And uh, it's okay. So they're Baptists, I've concluded. But they're the unhappiest looking people I've ever seen in my life. I mean, they look like they're born on the dark side of the moon, baptized in vinegar, just had that look. Nobody's talking, nobody's smiling, nobody's communicating. They just had that look like, wow, fun family, right? And so finally, they got up to leave, and we're crowding the booth. And we'd ordered, but they hadn't brought our food. So I called the waiter and said, hey, can we, can we have that table now? Can we spread out a little bit? He said, sure, come on. So I hopped up, and I'm helping them bust the table because I know our food's going to get there any second. And by the way, you know what wait staff people tell me? Please don't schedule me on Sunday because they know how tight Christians are. And I can't tell you how many staff have said, yeah, I, they left me a track. Told me how to get to Jesus, you know. I'm like, I'll send them to Jesus. That's what I wanted to do. But anyway, um, so anyway, they got up, and I'm cleaning, and it verified what I thought. I looked, their bill was still on the table. $83 and something. They left a $2.10 tip. See? Greedy. And they look greedy. They look greedy. Don't be like that. Learn the joy of giving things away. Every time you give something away, it breaks the grip of greed, especially if it's something that you enjoy. Here's the second one. Develop the ability to admire an object without having to own it. This is going to save you boatloads of money, okay? Because we all have stuff in our life we see. Oh. Or we go to somebody's house, look at that size of that TV. Honey, i got to get that. And once you get it in your mind, what are you doing? You're on the phone looking for it. Where's the best buy? Can I get it through here? You know, are you riding somebody's car like, man, I didn't know that. It, but it, and then what happens is it becomes a God, and then you're in the grip of greed. I'll give you an example. Uh, my friends, are, they're here right now. i got friends. I've had them for years. They have a boat. Now, this is not the kind of boat you throw on the top of your, your station wagon and take to Jordan Lake. Okay, this is a boat. This is a boat with a kitchen and a living room and bedrooms where you sleep, right? A real boat. And God has blessed them, and, and they're incredibly generous to Hope Community Church. But every year in the summer, they... Asked Lauren, I said, you guys want to go away for a few days on the boat? Like, yep. <laughs> and we go down to Intercoastal, and we stop at marinas and stuff, and yacht clubs. And I like to be like a bow bunny up there on the front. Like, yeah, my captain's bringing it in. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't hit anything, you know. Lifestyle, the rich, it's incredible. I love it. And naturally, it's like, man, I got to get me one of these things. Right, right. Yeah, like I could afford it. But the thing is, I don't have to wash it, pay for it, fix it when it breaks. Watch it depreciate. I just get to enjoy it. But I don't have to own it. See, there's a beauty in that. I live in a neighborhood where, for some reason, I guess it's a new fad because I found out the last neighborhood I moved out of has happened there. Families feel like they got to own a golf cart to ride around the neighborhood in. It's the weirdest, stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life, right? You can't take them on a golf cart. In fact, the back doesn't even have a place for golf bags. It's a little seat. You know, and it's so funny. These parents are so anal about their little children. Right, i got to walk them to the bus stop. I, these kids are riding on the back of the golf cart, you know, with a beer in their hand, two years old, hanging off, no seatbelt. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life, right? My neighbors are very troubled over the fact that I don't have a golf cart. I think they're going to get like a GoFund page or something to get me a golf cart because they don't say, i got a truck. I don't, you know. What they don't know is this, see. A few weeks ago over the holidays, my neighbor, he lives, he moved here from Connecticut. He was going back up to visit his family after Christmas. And he says, could you put my trash cans away if I give you my garage code? I said, absolutely. I know that garage code. I can buy that golf cart anytime I want to. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I'm going to buy that thing. I just appreciate it. Aren't you glad you're not my neighbor? Man, I am like white trash from hell as a neighbor. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) 
just develop the ability to, you don't have to, just because they have it, you don't have to have it. So just to learn to admire. Here's the third one. Remember that God is the source of everything you have. Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who makes you different from anybody else? What do you have that you did not receive? Some of you are loaded, and you think you're loaded because you're so smart, and you're so talented. I've met you. You're not that smart. <laughs> I mean, you have it because God said, I'm going to bless you. You know, I'm going to bless you. Why do you have that, that, that you did not, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? I mean, when are we ever going to get to the place where we realize God owns it all? He's the owner. We're the managers. He gives us whatever he chooses, and we manage it for him. But if we can get to the place where we realize God owns it all, generosity is a no-brainer. But if you believe that everything you have is yours because you earned it and you made it happen, and that God had nothing to do with it, you'll hang on to that stuff for dear life. Because you'll think, if I give it away, will I ever get it back? And that will scare you. Now, I want to close by, this is a church time. This is, this is a little church thing, and this is my thing, so don't blame it on anybody else. But we just finished up this Unleashed campaign. Two years, we tried to raise $42 million, and it was so we could open up all of our campuses and run them for a year and do all the things we do in the local community and all the things we do around the world in Haiti and Uganda and, and Nicaragua and Costa Rica and all of those things and build a brand-new Apex campus. By the way, uh, I spoke out there last week. They only opened the end of October, beginning of November. And since then, since the beginning of November, they went from averaging 1,700 on a weekend. I was out there last week, 3,700 people. They've grown 2,000 people because of your investment. Your and I met people who lives are being changed and whole families are coming to Christ. And it was just so cool. By the way, I know some of you, because I got the emails. Well, I can't believe you were out there. But listen, I'm live here every Saturday night. So if it's a big, you guys just sit and look at the screen anyway. But if it's a big deal to you, then I'm here every Saturday night. You ought to come and join me. It's better than the football games. But anyway, good, we have a good time. But I was out there. So here's the thing. Somebody called me in two weeks ago, and they said, well, you know, we went over, the, and just if you ever built anything, it came in a little higher than we thought. We're, we're about, we came in about $650,000 short. That was our goal. We came in, which is not a big deal, not in a church this size. But I thought, well, we could just roll it into this year. That meant every week I did the math. That every week we'd have to give $12,500 and what we gave would just go to that debt. And I don't like that idea of debt. I thought we could do that. Or we could just take, you know, like the, I think the theologian Larry the Cable Guy, you know, get her done. You know, just get her done, right? Just get, take care of it once and for all. And then we can focus on the opportunities and the things that are going to be taking place around us in our community over the next, next the rest of the year. So. But it's going to require us to be generous. But in a church this size, I mean, gracious, there's about 15,000 people around here every weekend, people at all of our campuses. We can do this, but we just have to be generous. So let me give you three things you can do, three steps. Here's the first one. If you're new, start giving. If you've never given, start giving. If you like what you see going on at Hope Community Church, if it's making an impact on your life, I don't care. College student, it doesn't really matter to me. Sing along, start giving. And just pick a percentage. I believe the Bible teaches 10%. I mean, that's what it teaches. That's what a tithe is. But I'm not a legalist, you know. You might say, Mike, I could never do that. I got debt I got to pay off. I got school loans. You could say, okay, I'm going to give 1%. I'm going to give 2%. I'm going to give 3%. But whatever it is, give it. Now, here's the secret to giving, giving a percentage of your income. You have to give it first. Because if you give it first, you'll learn to live within your means. But if you wait to the end of the month, you will have spent it all. 
But if you give it first, you're like, ooh, I'd like to go out tonight, but I can't. And you will actually learn to live within your means. It's actually a good, a good principle to live by financially as a family, as an individual. Second, if you're already giving consistently, increase it by 1%. Whatever you're giving, just increase it by 1% this year. Maybe you've been doing 4 or 5% for the past year, and you thought, okay, I'm going to go up to 6%. Many of us, you know, we passed tithe a long time ago, and so Laura and I had to talk about, okay, let's add another percent. I, I tell people, we should have T-shirts. I say, I up mine, up yours, okay? I think, that's, I think that would be a great giving <laughs> statement, okay? 7-up, that's not original with them. But anyway, but whatever it is, and so that means if you're giving $100 a month, you would give $110 a month. Or if you were giving $1,000 a month, you would give $1,100 a month. You could do the math. It's not that hard. But if we just did that, that would be incredible. Plus, it would be good for you because it's, there's nowhere in the Bible teaches the goal is 10%. That's actually the launching off point. Over that's where you become a generous giver. The law was just expected you gave the 10%. And then here's the last one. Maybe over the next few weeks, because I want to get this done by February 28th, you could just give a gift above your regular giving, you know? I mean, Laura and I sat down and we said, okay, we know we're going to give this because it comes right out of our bank account every week. That's easy. But what can we give above that? And we thought, what can we change around? What can we do? Maybe you're going to get a tax return, and you could give some of that. Maybe you got a bonus at the end of the year. Maybe you just have money in savings, and you feel like you want to be generous. Maybe you have some stock you want to send our way. Maybe you typically give at the end of the year. A lot of people do. They only give in December. But if you could give right now, that would help us because what's going to happen is all these new people that are coming to the church, they're going to be giving by the end of the year. It just takes a while to get there. In fact, let me just say this. This is not, there's no guilt here. I don't want you to feel any pressure. I mean, maybe you're new to hope and you're like, man, I'm just not there yet. I need to know more about the church. That's fine. This, is, this, this, this has nothing to do with that. If you don't feel compelled to give, that doesn't mean you're greedy. It might mean you're greedy. If you're angry right now, it probably means you're greedy. Be honest. But if you're like, I just don't know yet, fine. That doesn't mean you're greedy. What we hope is this. We hope that over time, first of all, we're just glad you're here. But we hope over time you'll catch the vision of what Hope Community Church is all about. When we talk about reaching the triangle and changing the world. And you'll understand we're not a country club. We see ourselves as an army of God here to make a difference in the world. And we don't get subsidized by the government. If we don't give it, it ain't happening. So I hope over time you'll catch that vision. You'll say, I want to be a part. But I will tell you this. If that's going to happen, it won't be because things change in your bank account. It'll be because God works in your heart. It always starts. It always starts in the heart. That wasn't so bad, was it? That wasn't so bad. I'm going to be a lot tough on you when we get to pride. Next week, we're going to talk about temptation. What are those little secret things we keep locked up in the vault of our life? How do we get them out so that we can be free? Father, thank you. Thank you for reminding us that when you looked at the mess that we had made of your creation, that your first response was, I got to give. And you gave us your most valuable possession, your only beloved, begotten son. And then we read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, that we are to be imitators of God. Help us to understand that we're never more like you than when we become people of generosity. And Father, it's not about what we give, whether we give a million dollars or a dime. It's the heart. It's always about the heart, the motive, the reason behind the gift. And may our hearts get there. And we're going to give you the credit for what you're going to do over the next few weeks. In your name we pray. Amen. 